Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. This week, former Blaze producer Natasha Pacetta is my guest. We catch up on what she's been up to next. First, I want to tell you about this month's highlighted coffee blend over at American Pride Roasters Coffee. It's the Ben Franklin. And if you haven't tried it yet, I really hope you will. It's a versatile coffee. It'll really cover all your bases there. Um, It's suited for any occasion or no occasion at all. Uh, Like Franklin, this blend is memorable. Did you know that the original inventor of swim fins for paddling through the water was Ben Franklin? After he strapped a couple of wood planks to his outstretched arms? (laughs) I love this. By the way, he was 11 years old. I mean, Ben Franklin... So awesome. Look, get over to aprcoffee.com if you haven't had a chance yet. you got to at least try what they're doing over there. They're making these brews in Iowa, and they're doing it so well. There's honestly, I have not tried one blend over there that I didn't absolutely love. Some are more favorites of mine than others, but I love, sincerely love, everything that they're making over there. So it's worth a shot to go and try it out. And if you order at least two pounds of coffee at aprcoffee.com and you type in ATM in the special instructions section during checkout, they're going to include an eight-ounce bag of the Reagan blend, a time for choosing. That's a $10 value. You're going to get it for free. Head over to aprcoffee.com, offer code ATM. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. My guest this week is Natasha Pacetta. She's been a producer at The Blaze. She's working with The Megyn Kelly Show now. But when she's not knee-deep in the world of broadcasting and current events, she stays busy. And we're going to find out just how busy she stays with today's conversation on At The Mic. You're going to pronounce your last name. Is it Pachetta or Pachetta? I never have taken how the time. How many years did we I have never together? taken the time. Look, my last name's Malinak. Do you know how many variations I get to hear of my last name? So I apologize. I just, I've never really used your last name. So is, hold on. Unbelievable. Do I have to guess here? Let me guess. Let me guess on that. Pachetta. Yeah, duh. Okay, cool. All right, cool. All like, right. I would be really insulted if you did not know how to pronounce my last name. We only <laughs> worked together for almost a decade. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I can never remember. So, all right. So it's not... Pachetta, even though it's got the S and the C together. Well, technically, it's probably Pachetta. Oh, well, then our story changes. (laughs) But I think for the sake of just, you know, messing with people, my parents decided to just say Pachetta, even though there is an extra C in there. So I'm Italian. We make things difficult. Always, you know, confused. You know, Thomas Jefferson lives at Monticello. And I always want to say Monticello. So I got to remember it's the opposite. It's just too much to remember. You're such a nerd. Too much to remember there. You were born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I was. I was. I actually have a a very similar trajectory as one of your other guests, Sarah Sullivan. Because Sarah was also born in Philadelphia. All right. Yes. You're a Northeastern gal then. I am. Because you you grew up in Philly. Did you stay there while you were a kid in your life? Uh, Well, I was born in Philly, and then about like a year into my life, my parents moved to South Jersey, which is still pretty much Philadelphia. Philly, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you eventually ended up at Fordham University in New York City. I did. That's, um, how is it going to school inside that town? It was hellacious if I could use that word. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was pretty much a liberal bastion. And I I just knew I wanted to go to New York City. You know, we were about, you know, two, three hours away from New York City. And when I was looking around to, like, go to college, I was like, well, you know, the college isn't as important as the location. So I knew I wanted to be in New York City. And I was like, well, whatever school I can get into in New York, that's where I'll I'll go. Really? So it was the city, not the the college or the... Major, I guess. I'm sure there was some degree of the major that that drew you there. Not really. You really just wanted to be in the city? I knew that there would be more opportunities in New York City. And if, well, it worked out. Yeah, it did work out, you know, but but I was very scared. Like, the first time I went to New York City was really for college, and I um, 
I was just terrified. I didn't know how to use the subway. I didn't know my way around. I pretty much cried for a straight week. No. Yeah. And uh, so, and it was also extremely liberal. And I went to a Jesuit college. So Fordham's a Jesuit college. And I, just like Sarah, Sarah had grown up in Philly and went to Catholic school all her uh-huh. life. I was very similar. Similar story. Went to Catholic school. And I was like, well, you know, Fordham seems cool. And they've got Jesuit going on there and that (laughs) they got Jesuits going on there. but I didn't realize that Jesuits are freaking crazy and they wanted to turn me into a socialist and I Mm. remember I even had a class the first like class I had at Fordham was like some media TV class and it was literally the the like plan for that class that day was to say how terrible Glenn Beck was (laughs) (laughs) And and at this, were you familiar with him? Um, I was familiar with him. Like I grown up, you know, loving talk radio. Like to go backwards a little bit. And that's your dad's. My dad, yeah. My influence. I grew up like I always say the best classroom I ever had was in my dad's Jeep, listening to talk radio Uh. and rock and roll. And that's really (laughs) how I got my education. And so I completely knew who Glenn was, and you know, um. You know, uh, that's how I actually uh, got to work with him and you. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, oh well, then that I love how you threw that in there. I got to work with Glenn Beck. Well, I mean. <laughs> and Keith Malinak. And Keith Malinak. <laughs> so there's that. So okay, and and that's what I was going to ask you. How does one, born in Philly, grow up in New Jersey, go to college in New York City, end up conservative in political beliefs? And I think you just explained that because it just seems like. On the surface, there's no way you could be a conservative. Right? Right? <laughs> you know, like, you go away to college and it changes you if you're not a strong person. In New York City. In New York City, yeah. <laughs> it, like, totally will completely change you and turn you into a liberal hippie yeah. if you don't, you know, have your own beliefs. So I went in knowing what college was going to be. I was like, you know what? They're going to try to force these ideals on me. And guess what? I already have my own. So stay away from me. And, <laughs> and it was it was kind me. of fun because I kind of felt like the rebel at school. <laughs> did you live in the city? Or I did. Okay. No, I lived smack dab in New York City at Columbus Circle, basically. Yeah, okay. That's what I was going to ask you. Where yeah. Okay. And so uh, I was actually able to walk to Avenue of the Americas, where you and I first worked in New York mm-hmm. City. So I walked from my dorm room every day. Um, but yeah, if you if you go to college and you know you don't have an idea of what principles, you know that you internally have inside, like they will change you. Yeah, completely. And, that, and that's any college. I mean, I went to school in the Midwest, University of Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska, and they're just these colleges will do exactly what you just warned about. So I can't imagine just knowing my experience in the Midwest in a town of two hundred thousand people. And um, the political bent, as you described, I can't imagine what it must have been like in New York City. But overall, was it a good experience for you? It was. I I learned a lot. And I, you know, not necessarily from Fordham. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, I actually like I had an idea going in, like I wanted the location and I wanted the opportunities that were available. And Broadcasting major, correct? Or uh, no? Communications, Communi- yeah, okay, you know, gotcha. uh-huh. whatever, same Everybody thing. calls it, every yeah. school calls it something different, yeah. you know? It's like, what is the most vague thing we can come up with? And <laughs> it's communications. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, ah, oh, that sounds kind of what I want to do. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and, and I started interning at Mercury and, and you actually took me under your wing. Mm. And you're the reason why I have employable skills today. You and Sarah Sullivan. Okay. <laughs> I don't know that I did anything. Yes, you you I just absolutely. answered your questions. Keith, okay. you taught me how to call screen. You taught me oh, how to yeah. use Adobe Audition, which I still use to this day. Uh, you taught me. Can, can I just stop for a second? <laughs> um, there's a gentleman who I know is not listening to this. You remember Randy Siegel? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Randy uh, lost my uh, Adobe Audition uh, disc that uh, 2.0 that I wish I still had today. I remember that, actually. Yeah. So, um, uh, Randy, if you happen to be listening, I haven't forgotten. I absolutely hate the more modern versions of Adobe Audition. This is inside baseball. I apologize, but I'm going to vent for a moment. (laughs) And I am so slow on the editing features of of the new versions 
than I was back then. Man, I'm lightning fast on the old school. But uh, I can remember you bitching about this <laughs> back then. Kind of what I do. <laughs> kind of what I do. So you've lived in Texas now for almost a decade. Yeah. Do you miss the Northeast or do you prefer Texas or what? I love Texas. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm so grateful that you know Glenn brought us here. You know, because without him, like you know, I wouldn't live here. You, you probably wouldn't live here. Um, and to know, like you know, when we got the call like hey you know we're moving to texas you guys are coming with us i was like okay well that's just what i have to do to keep a job you know mm. but now that i'm here oh my gosh i love it i wouldn't live anywhere else yeah i love texas like new jersey will always have a piece of my heart it is the ugliest weirdest state ever and i miss the architecture i miss the history of the northeast but there's plenty here in texas and you know i went back to the northeast for christmas to visit my parents during the pandemic. During the pandemic. Oh, boy. And it was like night and day. It was night and day. I was so upset. I was like, wow, everything is completely shut down. You can't do anything. And, you know, it just made me really sad and really grateful to live here in Texas. Did you get into the city while you were there? No, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do you miss the weather, though? I mean, does the heat get to you down here? Because a lot of people complain about the heat. No. I just wondered if that uh, was something. Texas yeah. is so weird. You know it. The weather is as unpredictable as anything. Like, it could be 20 degrees and the next day 60 degrees. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps you on your toes. It's kind of cool. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen. You have a younger sister, Nadia. Yes. Does she still live up there? She lives in North Carolina. Oh, okay. So she got out, too. She got out, too. <laughs> She's in the Army, actually. She's oh. a captain in the Army. Wow. She's in Germany right now. Could she kick your butt if y'all fought? Yeah. But you can do Taekwondo. I learned from the email that you uh, sent it's back. Aikido. Oh, my bad. Aikido. I thought that was a store. Okay. So, all right. You grew up as the older sister. Yes. Did you push her around a lot? No, she pushed me around. Really? She's like. So she's had armed forces in her blood. Oh, yeah. Since the beginning. She's like five inches taller than me okay. and could like completely kick my ass. So, okay. When you were growing up and your parents were yelling down the hall or something like that, did they ever screw up your names because it's Nadia and oh, Natasha? Oh, yeah. Every time. I don't know why they did that. Yeah, like, really? every time. I, I get called pets' names more than my own name. Okay, no. No, <laughs> wait a minute. I do that with my son all the time. I start calling him Tanner. Yeah. And it's not even close. It's, it's Ezra. not even. <laughs> what is the problem? Well, it's better than uh, Mittens, so. Wait a minute. Your parents were yelling at you and calling you Mittens? Yes. Yes. I'm like that. That is a completely different species, and also what does that say about a garment? Yeah, right. <laughs> what does that say about your parents and me? And I think Carrie's done this on occasion as well, where we're calling our kids by the pet's name. That I bet we're scarring him for life. Are you? Yeah. Were you scarred? Yes, I feel degraded. Okay, so if you hear the word mittens, do you kind of like want to crawl into a fetal position? A little bit. Oh yeah, my a little goodness. bit. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> so, all right. You, you grew up with, with a sister, and she went off. You said Army, right? Yeah, she's in Germany right now, and we haven't really heard from her. She's doing, like, top secret stuff. Like, you know, I don't really, I don't understand what she does, actually. I know, I know she's in the Army and a captain, but I can't understand anything else she tells me. Wow. So, she's doing some cool stuff, but I don't know what it is. So, how did you end up? With Glenn Beck. Was this an internship, correct? Yeah. 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 So I literally um, sent an email to Chris Balf. I found his email on the, I think it was like the Mercury website or something. Mm-hmm. I just went and found an email for like anyone I could find because I was a fan, you know, and I was also in New York City. I'm like, I need somewhere else to go besides Fordham because they're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Those <laughs> Jesuits. <laughs> they're crazy people. Um <laughs> So I just sent an email on a whim and I was like shocked to get a response back. And then like, I feel like it was a week later maybe that I was at Mercury in New York City and they were like, okay, you're an intern. I'm like, all right. And and I remember- um, Wow, that was that simple, huh? It was that simple. And I do remember it was Joe Curry was there at the mm-hmm. time and he asked me, okay, well you need to you know be getting credit for this internship. And uh, I wasn't. And so oh, I did what wait, any any professional would do, and I, I lied. And I said, oh, oh yeah, I'm totally no. getting credit. I'm totally getting credit. It's fine. It's cool. Um, and Because I knew if I had said I wasn't getting credit, 
uh, they might not have let me do the internship. I see. And it's such a racket because you have to pay to get the internship credit. You know, it's got to be on your like roster from the college. But yeah, so I lied and that's how I got my internship. <laughs> so I lied and uh, the rest is history. That's okay. And what did they have you doing at first with Glenbeck? Oh, gosh. It was, I think it was um, ramping up to restoring honor. So we were doing a lot of prep for that. It was like a year out, and we were already doing prep for it. Yeah. And I remember one time, like, one of the craziest things that Joe had asked me to do was take the Amtrak to Washington, D.C. one day by myself and, like, get the permit for the mall. (laughs) In Washington, wow. D.C. So you're the one that secured the permit. I guess I am. Uh, but wow. it was just like the craziest thing because that morning it's like, I need you to go to Washington, D.C. and get the permit for the mall and then come back. And I was like, okay. And <laughs> I guess I did it. And I guess that's how we had Restoring Honor. It's all, it's all because of me. <laughs> all because really. of you. <laughs> yes. No, I've gotten calls like that from Joe Carey before. Mine was um, I was on the train going home. Out, and I lived in, boy, we lived in way out west in, you know, out close to Pennsylvania, still yeah. in New Jersey. There were only two stops on the train after after my stop. And he said, hey, do you want to go to Salt Lake City this weekend? Because Pat's daughter was getting married. Uh, and Glenn was going to do broadcasting uh, his show. We had to get out of there quickly because the snow was coming to New York right, or something. Right. You know? I think I remember. Yeah. And so he goes, okay. Uh, I need you back here by whatever time. I literally, I of course didn't drive that day. So I had to run from the train station, I mean, at least a mile. Oh my God. At least a mile. And I am sweating and I'm running and... It's like it's like the Nazis are coming. What can you cram into this bag? Because I know the train is going to make two stops, turn around, come back by, and that's my last chance to get back to the city. Oh, my God. So, anyhow, just, I mean, not the same story, but you said Joe Carey and train, so it kind of triggered yeah. me for a second there. <laughs> and I just remember just throwing stuff in for five days in Salt Lake oh. and, cram- and then sprinting back because Carey and the kids hadn't moved to New Jersey at that point. And I just remember just getting back to the station as the train's pulling up just sweating and uh anyway yeah the things not the, the same things story we, but the things we did uh, pretty crazy so you you worked there um as an intern and in fact i think at one time you were on glenn's fox news tv show correct i was i think i know where you're going with yeah this. so tell us uh <laughs> tell us what you said when glenn asked you a question on national tv so um <laughs> this is probably the most embarrassing story of my life really uh, oh, then, you, then you've done well. You've done well. This is if this pretty is... bad. Ah. <laughs> um, so I guess Glenn was doing an intern show. I guess they ran out of ideas and <laughs> doing that and on um, his Fox show. And so, you know, all of us interns were, were on it. And I, I don't know. I was just so nervous. I remember I was really nervous. and I was in the crowd and, you know, Glenn was doing his thing where he was going around asking the interns questions. Mm-hmm. And the girl who was answering a question in front of me, I, I think, was like saying something about uh, like credit. You had to get credit or get paid for an internship in college or something. And so I was like also really nervous and spacing out. And I was like, and then Glenn called on me. Plus, and- you were you were living a lie at that point. Um, so she was basically <laughs> telling her story, and you were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, she's gonna ask me about credit. Uh, yeah, I was like happening. freaking out about that that initial lie. Um, <laughs> But I totally, like, Glenn just came to me and just asked me, I remember, he just asked me, like, what did you get out of it? And I was like, well, nothing. And I remember his face, his face was, like, shocked, like. Oh, no. And I was like, no, no money. I got no money. And it was just (laughs) so. Did anybody laugh? Was there dead dead silence? Oh, no. Dead silence. And I could, I could like feel Tiffany's glare from the control room at Fox being like, what did she say? (laughs) And, and, and it was just like so terrible. And I remember the next day I was mortified. And the next day, Stu decided to play the audio clip from that on the radio show to further make fun of me. That is. Awesome. And I just was like, I can't believe how stupid I was. But 
Yeah, so uh, that was the most embarrassing uh, day of my life. Um, you were never I, asked back on the TV show, huh? Actually, I was. Oh. <laughs> was it better? Did it go better? Than yes, that? it was much better. Okay, good. good. <laughs> All right. But yeah, uh, yeah, I told Glenbeck I learned nothing from my internship. So, yeah. Wow. On national television. And I would like to circle back, if we could, to earlier in the podcast where she learned so much from me. Which uh, is also uh, nothing, apparently. As, <laughs> I, as learned, I said. I learned everything from Keith Malinak and nothing from Glenn Beck. <laughs> uh, okay, nice. Wow, you really wiggled out no, of that I one. I learned so much from Glenn. Okay. <laughs> and now, today, you work with Megan Kelly. I do. Out of the Dallas location for her podcast. I would like to point out, before we go any further and I ask you questions about working for her, I would like to point out, that recently on the program, I interviewed Steve Krakauer, who worked at The Blaze, and I came in here to the studio uh, here in Dallas, where they broadcast Megyn Kelly's podcast out of, and had a good conversation with Steve. It's an earlier episode, if you want to scroll, uh, scroll down there and take a listen. And as I was packing up my stuff to leave... Uh, <laughs> What's so funny? What do you know where this is going? Uh, okay, so anyway, so Steve <laughs> mentioned. I asked him, "Well, you're just you know talking about the team that puts together the Megyn Kelly show." And he mentioned, uh, "Do you remember Natasha, who used to work at the Blaze?" I was like, "Well, yeah, I've been trying to coordinate an interview with Natasha for I don't know half a year now." <laughs> so it kind of worked out that I ended up over here talking to Steve because I feel like if I hadn't then this podcast may have never happened. This conversation today—that's not true. Oh. We would have found a time, okay. Keith. All right, all right, but. <laughs> Admit that it was if not for, for that encounter with me and Steve, <laughs> this this would not have been recorded yet. Well, it was a fortuitous situation. Okay. Oh, very, very good. <laughs> She's so good at, at working her way out of these situations. But you are extremely busy, and I understand that, and I want to talk about what occupies your, quote, free time after we talk about your job, because I, I can totally understand and respect how busy you stay and how tough it was for us to coordinate this conversation but tell us about how it is to work with megan kelly and her podcast and how did that ever happen yeah so again everything comes back to the blaze it all comes back to the blaze and how you <laughs> left us in the dust because I, you wanted to get out of there well i left because i was yeah, sick and tired of politics <laughs> right and you had a dream to pursue it's very noble that you left to go and and be a part of something that you're not sick of, like politics. True. Yeah, I left for something a little less scary. Um, well, that's <laughs> that's not accurate because it's. Uh, can I say it's the horror film industry? Well, yeah, pretty much. I so. I wanted to pursue my silly dream of making horror movies. Yeah. And um, I I actually got close. You know. <laughs> I got close. <laughs> um, I I left the blaze and I. Uh, I started working for this legendary horror brand called Fangoria. And, you know, some listeners may know it. It's been around since 1979. Wow. And it just talks about the making of horror movies. And so the brand actually resurrected here in Dallas. And when I heard about that, I was like, oh, wow, that seems like a good step. Maybe. This is your chance. Yeah, this is my chance. Yeah, they're like, local. Maybe, it's, yeah. It's what your passion is. Yeah. Right. So I was like, oh, maybe I can get in there. And, you know, thankfully it worked out and I was able to get a job in something I also hated, which was social media. Oh, um, wow. So I took the job because I wanted to get into Fangoria and I was like, well, I'll try it. You I know, mean, how many Fortune 500 CEOs got their start just taking whatever they could get with a company that they had a passion for. Yeah. So I completely respect that. Well, and, thank you. And, and, and were you enjoying it? Because Oh, gosh. Social media management is oh. a nightmare. It's like 24-7. You know, it was fun because I was, I was actually working within like a topic I enjoyed and was interested in. So, you know, I was coming up with content for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and all those things and having to manage all of that. And then... Thankfully, the company was growing and I was able to transition into um, creating their podcast network. So I created the Fangoria Podcast Network with my skills that you helped teach me, Keith Malinak, you, to keep doing you and Sarah Sullivan and Stuber Gear. I, I showed you um, where the file save button on Adobe was. Hey, You're that's an important step. Yeah. Important step. Um, so, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I was able to transition into that and I really enjoyed that and 
I helped create podcasts for like Kane Hodder, who is like the best Jason Voorhees ever. Oh, that's what I want to ask you. How many Jasons have there been from Friday the 13th? Uh, oh, gosh. That, that whole series. There's been probably six or seven. Because really, I mean, anybody could play that role. Hang on. Oh. Hang on. Hang on. Okay. <laughs> Be- as far as physical appearance. Because you're wearing the mask. That's kind of what I mean. Body language. That's what I wanted to ask counts. you. Why does he stand out is my question. Because he is a really nice guy, actually. And like most of them are nice guys who play Jason. <laughs> who played a, a serial <laughs> killer on the big screen. But in real life, they're so nice. It, they actually are. That's like cool. I've, I've come to learn a lot of the horror legends, you know, that we look to are, are actually very nice people. And so... Um, but he's just like he's in touch with the fans and like really That's gives cool. back. And he actually went through a lot of like physical uh, trauma. He was he burned like seventy percent of his body. Oh, he should have no, no pun intended. He should have been playing Freddy then. <laughs> yeah, right. To be honest with you. Well, I think I think there actually was an opportunity for him to play okay. Freddy at one point. Um, but yeah, so I went on wow, to help. What happened? I mean, do you know? Oh, he's a stuntman. So oh, Kane Hodder no. is a stuntman, and he was doing a stunt in an early, you know, movie, and you know, it it just went bad, yeah. you know. So, um, but great guy, and I was able to help create his podcast along with Felissa Rose and Tiffany Shepis called Casualty Friday for the Fangoria Podcast Network, um, which was you know a thrill for me. Like I've loved all of them, and it was really cool. Is to... that still happening? Uh, yeah, they they still do it. I'm huh. I'm not involved anymore because right. Fangoria, uh, well, the company that owned Fangoria at the time got cancel cultured, which is a whole other story. Which is why I'm not there anymore. <laughs> oh my goodness! Are you going to get into that, or or the lawyers listening? Ah, uh, I can get into it a little bit. Um, yeah, cancel happened? culture is real and mm-hmm. awful. And about 25 people on Twitter basically took down this movie company. Mm. And um, it was just terrible because, you know, it, it's awful what 25 people on the Internet who are strangers can can do to a company. From their parents' From basement. From their parents' basement. Mm. So, But that did lead to other opportunities, yes, right? Yes. And so with my, you know, reinforced podcasting skills... After, you know, that went away and yeah. was done, um, I kind of just looking for a job. I was I was in a situation like many people during the pandemic without a job. And it was funny that it was because of cancel culture <laughs> and not the actual <laughs> pandemic. Um, but, yeah, I was out of a job and I was looking around for what I could do. And um, I was just kind of like posting on social media like, hey, if anyone has a podcast, I'm free to help and produce or edit or whatever you need. And Wilson, remember Wilson? Yeah. Wilson. Used to work with us. Actually saw my Facebook post uh. and forwarded it to Chris Balf, uh-huh, who originally who hired, hired yeah, who yeah. hired us. And Chris saw it and he was like, well, I've got some things, you know, cooking, like, you know, maybe you'd be interested. Well, yeah, sure. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. And I'd love to work with you again. And then it was revealed to me that oh, it's a Megyn Kelly show. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow. I've just worked with B-Horror movie stars. This is a whole different level, you know? Yeah. Um, and so Steve Krakauer, who uh-huh. you've had on. Right. He, who was kind enough to sit down with me before you did, but go ahead. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to let that slide. Um, he gave, <laughs> he gave me a call and was like, hey, you know, we're doing the Megyn Kelly show and, you know, we need an, an audio producer. Okay, um, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. For this podcast, I push the buttons and I record the show and then I edit it all together after it's all done. And um, miraculously, that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just uh, really cool. Like, I've always admired Megan. She's just a force to be reckoned with. And she <laughs> is so nice and cool. People say, don't meet your heroes. And I was blown away by her. I remember being on Zoom calls with her like that first week and being like, oh, Megan Kelly's talking to me. <laughs> and she looks like just as beautiful as you would think, like even in her Zoom calls. How is this possible? <laughs> but yeah, she's great. And so now I'm the audio producer for the Megan Kelly show. And um, I'm, I get to listen in on really fascinating discussions that she has with people and, you know, help her put out her podcast. So didn't necessarily want to be back in politics. Small world, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, but 
you know, it's it's a really cool and crazy thing. I'm back working with a lot of Blaze employees that I used to work with. And How wild. Um, yeah, it's just a, a wild ride. So And just so that we're clear here, Natasha has referenced episode 45, Steve Krakauer, and episode 16, Sarah Sullivan, if you would like to go back and check those out here at, at themikeshow.com. And I, I also actually, I have stor- <laughs> I have stories about pretty much everyone you've interviewed, Keith. Oh, no. Oh, like, like stuff, that I, stuff that I missed out on? Well, I, I mean, I'm just so grateful for my time at The Blaze because I met so many people that yeah. have truly impacted my life, including you, oh. um, like Rob Chickering. He help me accomplish well, one of my dreams. Yeah, save that, because that's yeah. what I want to ask And so you. did Nick Daly. Nick Daly. Yeah. Uh, what episode is that? Any <laughs> idea? Where's Nick? Uh, Nick Daly. Oh Just gosh. scroll up and find it. Okay, because when you're not here at the studio working with the Megan Kelly show, your big hobby is actually another job, and it's pretty intense as yeah. far as time, resources, effort, energy, all that stuff, uh, money. Yeah. I would imagine. <laughs> a lot of money. And you run a haunted house that, I, I don't want to say it's year-round, because I, I'm sure you have time off to, to rebuild stuff and, and get it, because what you do is, correct me if I get anything wrong, you started at Halloween of 2020. Yes. Okay. Then you had a Christmas-themed haunted house. Yes. Man, you're weird. <laughs> I know. And now, as of this recording... You've got a, a Valentine's Day themed haunted house. That's strange. That doesn't seem healthy. None of this. I don't know what is weirder, the uh, Valentine's Day themed haunted house or the Christmas themed haunted house, but yet you've found this niche market and I think it's been successful, yeah? Uh, yeah. I mean, one of my big dreams since forever uh, has been to own a haunted house are there a lot of haunted houses that come up more than just once a year for oh, Halloween? Oh, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Well, you have to, because how do you stay afloat? Do they theme know? it around the holidays, or usually, is it just the same thing? Usually. It's seasonal. I'm not original no in this I, thing. I thought that was. Well, then I take back any credit that I was inferring <laughs> for you. But go ahead. Tell us about this. Uh, yeah. So when I was laid off from Fangoria, I needed something to do. And I was like, well, always wanted to do a haunted house and- you know, at the time, like I said earlier, I wanted to be in horror movies, and I actually did make two short films um, with the help of Nick Daly. Uh huh. Nick Daly did the, all the sound design for my first short film, uh-huh. Road Trash, um, which actually trash. went on to win quite a few awards Good and festivals. So, where can uh, people see Road Trash? They can go on the internets okay. and um, <laughs> go to YouTube and type in Road Trash, and it's there on Alter. Alter is like a horror platform, and they put that out. They distributed it. Yeah, Nick Daly did all the sound design. How cool. For that. And um, it was awesome working with him because I actually I actually flew to L.A. for the very first time in my life mm. to meet with the narrator of the short film. And her name's Heather Lagenkamp. People will know her as Nancy in Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. So she's the other star of Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, right. she, I hired her to do the voiceover, the narration for my short film. And Nick was living in LA at the time. That's right. And so I met up with Nick and I was like, Nick, can you, cause he had already been on board to do the sound design. I was like, can you come to the studio with me to meet Heather and kind of like help me direct her with her narration to see what you need to put it together at the end, you know? And so he came out and, you know, we both sat there and watched Heather Langenkamp read these lines and scream and do all these amazing things that I never thought I would ever see happen in my life. And so Nick has been a great friend to me and has helped me accomplish one of my dreams. But to go back, so I did two short horror movies. Um, one's in post-production right now. Um, so still working on that one. When will that be released? Hopefully sometime this year. So okay, hoping that that gets finished this year. But you really don't make any money doing that. You, you spend money. Yeah. Doing short films, especially if you're an independent filmmaker like myself. I just use my resources to make it say, happen. I was going to say, do you have access to a studio where you can shoot scenes? No. The The thing is, I use, I look for sets that are already in existence. This last one, I shot it at this like beautiful Victorian 
decaying house that I use as my haunted house. And it was a real house. I don't have access to those things. So I look for things that are already there to shoot my movies. Doing short movies doesn't make you any money. And I was like, well, what's something in the horror realm that could make money that I could do? Haunted houses can be profitable. 99% of haunted houses fail Mm. completely, which I knew going into it. But they're going to make me a lot more money than a short film. So I was like, well, let me try. Uh, And so in the summer of 2020, I started getting a design and getting a place to have the haunted house. And I found this mall in Louisville, Texas. Yeah. Do you want to tell everyone where they could find your haunted house? Well, yes. (laughs) Um, It's at the Music City Mall in Louisville, Texas. It's this gorgeous mall. It was built in 1989 and it still looks like it's from 1989. It's amazing. Okay. Well, we went by there recently. And I Googled Ooh. Music City, Louisville. Yeah. Because I'm thinking, that's something you should see in Nashville. How right. is Louisville, and maybe you don't know the answer, how did it get that moniker Music City? Because I could not find the answer on the Google. Um, I also am unsure of that because there's <laughs> two locations, actually. There's one in Odessa, Texas as well. But it's owned by this eccentric billionaire dude, uh-huh. And he wanted a place to like have live music. So they have live music oh, well, seven days sense. a week. Okay, now I so get it. So they have a big stage no in the middle and they have music seven days a week. So now that's I get their it. thing. So Music City Mall, Louisville, Texas. What's the name of your haunted house? It's called Nightscape. Nightscape. Yes. And you did a, a Halloween one in October, mm-hmm. a Christmas theme later on. Then you've got the Valentine's Day one. What are the markers and the holidays along the way then following? So we've got three more shows after the Valentine's show in 2021. What are those themes? Uh, one is an Easter one. What are you doing? <laughs> okay, now. now. Not like Easter. I, I should say uh, uh, Fear of Rabbits themed show. Okay. So there are some sacrilegious I know, directions I know, you and could believe go me, there. I, I was yelled at by these crazy people in the mall for the Christmas show calling me demonic and uh, satanic. Surely that's not the first time someone's uh No, you're right, it's that. not. Yeah. Okay. But <laughs> cuz uh, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you you make Alice Cooper look like a choir boy and that's of course your 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 big uh, hero. That is the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> no, here seriously, he looks normal compared to Thank some you. of the things that you're into. Well, you know, I try to keep it interesting. Yeah, that was less of a compliment on Alice Cooper and more of an indictment of you. So you do the, the so you're going to have uh, rabbits from hell, effectively. Yeah, that's a good description. Okay. I might even use that in my promo right. stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, we have recorded proof that you stole that. Uh, what are the other themes this year? Um, then we'll do a summer show, which will be um, kind of like a Stranger Things-esque, because we're in a mall. So Stranger Things, like yeah. there's a mall thing going on there too. I may, I may be the only person in the world who has not watched that show. I actually haven't watched it either. Oh, I just well, know you're it's, gonna have to brush up. I know it's popular with the kids, so I was like, well, you're gonna have to watch that you know, before I you will. start designing sets and stuff. I will. And then what's after that? And then our Halloween show. Okay, so it's got to be labor intensive to get these things decorated and and cast and marketed, right? Yes. Uh, what all is how many man hours? You probably haven't even quantified it. Well, just to get the structure built, and I have to shout out past guest of yours, Rob Chickering, oh, yeah, who be... is an, a saint. Episode, I don't know, one. Rob uh, Chickering <laughs> and Sean Balmos is another Blaze employee, um, and Travis Brancel, uh-huh. um, they helped build How cool. the entire structure wow. for my haunt. Um, just because they are amazing people. And without them, I would have no haunted house. Hmm. They literally, like Rob and Sean, they built all the panels. There were 200 plus panels that had to be built to make this maze structure inside. We're in, in an old Charlotte Russe, which is an old teenage girl's clothing store. Okay. So we had this space. It's like 5,000 square feet. It's huge. Oh, wow. It's huge. And we had to build an entire maze inside of that and they completely they built everything and then rob and sean within like two days had that entire thing up 
Oh my. Which I was blown away. And without them, I would have no haunted house. Um, but so labor intensive. It's unbelievable. So let's say while you're doing the Valentine's show, do you store the Halloween stuff on site but out of sight there? Yeah, yeah. So we don't really change too much because um, I'm broke. But um, <laughs> I, the club. I have animatronics in rooms that are set. Like they're not changing. They don't change from show to show. But we do change the middle of the show, which is this big room that we can retrofit to like any seasonal thing we have. Like for Christmas, we had uh, a photo op of Krampus. So that's where we put Krampus. The, yes. I know Krampus. Krampus is awesome. So we put him in there and we did like a little photo op. And that's how we get people to come in. We're like, well, you can take a photo with Krampus. And that's our like gimmick for the off season shows. I gotcha. Um, and so with Valentine's, we're doing a zombie prom. And so we have a whole prom <laughs> set inside. And you can take a prom photo with all of our zombies. So that's our gimmick for that. And I. I'm like hearing myself say these things and I yeah. sound like a lunatic. No, uh, I didn't say a word. I wonder, do the people you work with currently, does Megan Kelly know that you do this in your off time? Uh, I don't know if Megan knows. I know Steve definitely knows, okay. but I'm not sure if Megan knows. I don't, I'm not sure I want her to know. Well, I'm leaving this in, so <laughs> she might stumble upon this. So, okay. Well, that's exciting. I mean, that sounds like you're having fun with it, though. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so much fun. And the mall has been great to us and... Cool. You know, they just want us there. And yeah, um, it was crazy starting a haunted house during the pandemic. I didn't know if anyone would show up. Yeah. How did the, how was you attendance know? for that? Attendance was really good. We had a line down the entire mall on Halloween. That's probably the last time a, a line is. Yeah. And those people, they did not care. Right. I was going to say, that's probably care. the first line that has been in a mall. <laughs> yeah. In year, maybe a decade. It was so. Congrats! It was awesome. And the Christmas one was good, and, and yeah, so on. yeah, yeah. I call them the off-season shows. Like yeah. if it's not Halloween, they're mostly promotional tools. Like I don't make money on any of the shows yet. You mm. traditionally don't make money until the third year of a haunted house. Oh boy! So it's yeah, it's been mm. a lot. But yeah, they're just promotional tools, really. So. In a previous life, you were, I love this, a roller derby announcer? I was. explain this. What what does that mean? Well, you know, I love radio. Um, Uh That's how I got my start, just my love of radio. And I used to be a DJ host at WGLS, Rowan University in Glassboro, New Jersey. Even though I didn't go to school there, I actually just went to them and was like i want to learn how to do this was this during college uh, yeah or it was school? during it was bef- the year before i joined mercury okay so you just did this for fun yeah i just did it for fun i was like i want to host a radio show like i want to host you know a music show and, oh my gosh i have to tell you the name of the talk show i hosted was called the women's room i just think and cringe about that and i'm like how did i name my show after a bathroom but I got a lot of experience out of it. Yeah. And you came up with that name? <laughs> uh, it wasn't actually. It was an existing show. I was going to say, you inherited you can, it. I inherited it. Yeah, a lot of time it. this happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's called what what The mean. Women's Room. The Women's Room. I can't believe it. <sighs> but on, I had to come up with like interesting guests for that show. And I was interested in roller derby. And there were these two girls who had started a roller derby league in you know my neck of the woods. And so I asked them to come on the show. And they were like, yeah, and it was a great show. And at the end, they were like, well, we're, we're in need of an announcer for our games. Like, do you want to do that? You know, we'll pay you. Okay. An I, announcer in what sense? Like a PA announcer yeah, in the building? Yeah. Okay. So I would be the one calling like, oh, and there's a jam and this girl's out. And, uh-huh. and granted, I really didn't have that great knowledge of the actual sport. So I was making stuff up on the fly. And I guess that's why it didn't last very long. Aww. So, and you I could have made up terms. I probably and did. Gives I, her a roundhouse elbow. Yeah, like or. Amy Kickhouse or what? I don't know. It was just like it was. It was. But like, it was fun. It was or, fun. So yeah, why, what do they fun. say? I'm sorry, you're just not. It's not working. Well, I out. think it was actually like political views that ended that relationship. I know. It's How did crazy. they find out? I can't imagine. Like, uh, and they come around the corner, and boy, I love that Rush Limbaugh. How did that? <laughs> I don't understand how they found out. Um, I think I was on Facebook at the time, and oh, I was gosh. like, oh, yeah, God, I, I know. It, and so, Ugh. yeah, and we got into like, I don't know. It wasn't even related to roller derby, obviously, but they never asked me back after that. And, I you see. know, I wasn't the start of it. 
Oh, you were arguing with someone. I I I guess somebody had com- like one of the roller derby girls commented on one of my political leaning posts, oh. I guess, and I guess they just never asked me back after that. Okay, tell us about James. James is good. He's my boyfriend. And you have been dating for how long now? Oh my gosh, almost 5 years. Wow. Yeah, crazy. That's the one thing on this program that I'm sure people get sick of hearing is how I react to references in time where I will say, because they don't know James, they don't know how long you've been dating. And so when I'm like, wow, time flies. I mean, my goodness, it just seems like y'all started dating the other day. I remember you were like the first person I told. Aw. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks. I'm trying to, yeah. Okay. I, I want you to tell us, well, first of all, is, is he doing well? Yeah, he's great. He's great. Um, he's a music instructor at School of Rock still and loves it. And, That's cool. Um, you know, do, doing great. What instruments does he play? He can play anything but guitar. He's, guitar. you know, he's okay. an expert level guitarist. Okay. Can you I tell might be biased, us but. the story of, I've been waiting to ask you this story. You know what I'm going to do? No. Story? Okay. <laughs> so I remember one weekend. You guys had to drive to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania from Dallas, Texas. Yes. In a little car. Whose car was it? Was your car? It was James Honda Civic. Honda Civic. And you had to bring back all the pieces of a drum kit. Oh, my God. Was it for like his band or something? Yes. (laughs) And you had to drive from Dallas to Pittsburgh and back with this drum kit from Friday. I think you didn't even leave until night. It's true. Friday night, and mm-hmm. you had to be back at work by whatever time, yep. 7 a.m., 6 a.m., Yep. Monday morning. I can't believe you remember this. But I've I, been waiting. <laughs> seriously, when I saw James on here, I thought, oh, I got to ask this story. How was that? Was that fun? Uh, no. It was a <laughs> awful weekend. Um, I think we spent maybe five hours in Pittsburgh when we got there, and it was just all in the car for a drum kit. Take turns sleeping. I'm like, I will buy you her. another drum kit. Yeah. Like, I will literally buy you a drum kit. But we did it. We did. We Texas to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh to Texas, one weekend in a Honda Civic. In a Honda Civic with a drum kit. Yes. With not a probably an inch to spare after no. you picked up that. No. Do you have a change of clothes or anything? I don't even think I had a change of clothes. Seriously. If I didn't say it out loud, I was thinking at the time, I was thinking, I think I said this out loud. <laughs> You guys are either going to be so close after this trip, after this bonding trip with this drum kit. Oh, my God. Or you're going to break up within a week after it. So congratulations. It's been oh, five thanks. years, yeah, huh? Yeah, we, we survived the <laughs> Pittsburgh trip, and I've survived many trips since then. Dating a, a touring musician is uh, is pretty interesting, and yeah, you get to see a lot of different vehicles. You get to see a lot of different vehicles. What does that mean? Well, like drive, like you know, touring. Yeah. Like, you how know. is it with the pandemic and no live shows and stuff like that? How's oh well, there's none. Oh. So, but she loves. Like he's pretty much over touring. Oh, good. You know, he's happy to teach students rock and roll, and he's a really great teacher. Um, shout out anyone who wants to take lessons at School of Rock South Lake. Do it. School of Rock South Lake. Yeah. I know exactly where that is. I bet you do. I drive by there all I the know. time. Yeah, very cool. So tell us about the other love of your life, your little kitty cat, Cooper. Oh, Cooper. Well, funny thing is, I mean, all things come back to the blaze. I found Cooper at the blaze. In the parking lot. In the parking lot. Well, technically, Chance Foreman uh-huh. found Cooper in the parking lot. Uh, like hanging out in her cars, eating yeah. garbage, right? Yeah. She was just like this tiny little kitten, had worms crawling all over uh. her, and she was in bad shape. You know, and I remember it was like July. We had just come back from that man in the moon thing. Okay. And um, the week after we got back from that and, you know, Chance comes into the studio, I have a kitten. And at that point I had been looking for a cat. Oh. But I just hadn't made any connection with oh. any cats that I was looking at. And I knew I wanted a black cat because I've always had black cats growing up. And, you know, the horror movie thing it. and everything. Yeah, we know you. <laughs> Um, and this, and it was a black kitten and I just, I saw her and I'm like, this is my cat. This is my cat. And I took her home and she's eight years old now. Tell us the nickname of, uh, Cooper. Named Uh, after Alice Cooper. I like. Oh yes. Yes. Named after Alice Cooper. But but her nickname is? Trash cat. Trash cat. Because that's where she was living, (laughs) right? Eating garbage out of a dumpster in the back of the blaze. Okay. Tell us about, and I'm sorry I called it Taekwondo earlier. (laughs) Tell us about your hobby. Totally different. Aikido. 
Aikido, yeah. So I'm technically a brown belt in Aikido. Aikido is a Japanese martial art, and it is a very defensive martial art. Oh. It's uh, the martial art of Steven Seagal. Um, that's what he does. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, and it's all about using the other person's energy oh, yeah, okay. against them. So now you're I'm, never you're yeah. never throwing a punch or you know wow. a chop at that sounds at anybody. really fun. It's really fun and it's really effective. Like, you know, I've been out of practice for many, many years now, but I feel like if I had to use the moves, I could. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And is that where you learned to do a backflip as well? No, I actually, uh, I took gymnastics when I was younger and I love gymnastics and, you know, I got pretty good at gymnastics and can just still do some stuff now. Okay. Tell us about your mom. Uh, my mom is an angel She and my dad both have been so supportive of me. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to start the haunted house was they actually instilled the love of Halloween in me. They they put on the best Halloweens for my sister and I. Like they made it so special. My dad used to rent. He used to go and rent like a two hundred dollar costume at like the costume store, like like one of those eight feet tall costumes. Every year he used to rent these costumes and walk around the neighborhood and we used to decorate the house and it was the best house for Halloween. Like all the kids in the neighborhood loved our house. Spooky. Oh yeah. Like did you scar young children in the neighborhood? I'm sure. I'm sure. Like there are kids in that well, they're adults now, but that still remember our house like, during like, Halloween. Like describe what the front of the house would look like if someone is going trick or treating what would they see as they approached your house? It would depend on the year. Because every year we change the theme up. We have like a clown theme oh, one year. Oh, that's where you got this. Exactly. It's my parents' uh, yeah, fault. Okay. It's my parents' Absolutely. fault, 100%. <laughs> um, but they actually were here the entire opening of Nightscape, and they were um, scare actors. So I actually uh, had them dress up, and they were scaring people in the haunt and they loved it so and that was part of my dream with the haunted house was to have my parents also involved and they're retired now so they can do fun things and where do they live they currently live in new jersey still would they ever move down here to retire Um, and and help out at the haunted house every time i'm trying to get them that's the plan seriously try harder because it sounds (laughs) like they could just show up and be a part of i know and i don't have to pay them it's great (laughs) (laughs) wait a minute okay So, any regrets? Anything you wish you had done differently Um, along the way? I really wish I had, you know, followed some of my dreams earlier in life. Hmm. You know, I'm sure so many people have the same, you know, thought. But, you know, I I think everything ends up being the way it is for a reason. And, you know, everything has, like, shaped my life to the point where it is now, like, I learned about the entertainment industry from Glenn and, you know, working with you and Sarah and Stu. I learned how to be a producer, you know, when I worked on Stu's TV show, The Wonderful World of Stu. Yeah, let's let's talk about that because I think a lot of people listening to this podcast that are fans of Glenn Beck or The Blaze, they may know you from that, but you had a much bigger role there than I think people realized you wrote so many monologues for Stu. You were the driving force behind Patent Stu, that show. You really brought so much to the table that I don't think people realize some of the coolest stuff that they've ever done, that went through you. Oh, well, thanks, Keith. Yeah. It, it Do you really... miss writing monologues? Do you miss looking up these crazy stats that, that exist in the far reaches of the internet? Do you miss pointing out amazing stuff and, and hypocrisy of people and politics. Do you miss that? I do. Like, I, I miss being creative in that way. Like, right now, I'm my job is mostly technical, you know, so I don't get to use that side of my brain so much. Like, I loved writing scripts for Stu's show. I wrote monologues for Glenn when he was doing his top-of-the-hour monologues for radio. Oh, I love yeah, I right. love doing that, too. Like, you know, I do love to write, and so... Um, I do miss writing a lot, um, but I get to do it for myself with like the short films and, um, but yeah, it was, it was so fun. And and Stu gave me so much independence on like crafting things and coming, coming up with things. Like my favorite skit 
that I used to help Stu with was uh, Woodrow Wilson in Hell, which <laughs> I loved. I loved because it, it like, you know, satisfied that itch for the horror in me. I was like, what if we have Woodrow Wilson come back to life as like a zombie Woodrow Wilson, but he's in hell because that's where he is. <laughs> and, and he'll give advice to people and it will be terrible advice and we'll use all his own words. And so I loved seeing that skit come to life and I yeah. loved putting Stu in that role <laughs> as zombie Woodrow Wilson, giving people the worst advice possible yeah using his own words yeah that was probably like a highlight of my career i i loved i loved writing that segment you know just fun things like that like Stu always let me run with these crazy ideas and you know i i think that was we worked really well together and um you know i'm really happy for his new show Stu does america Mm -hmm. and 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 my good friend adam ford's working on another guest of yours that's right. Um, I'm, I've run out of, I can't <laughs> scroll around that much. I, I'll never find all these episodes, but yeah, all these people. And that... I do remember one of the most fun segments I ever did for the radio show because we do it in you know, video and audio. And one time it was during Obamacare or something. Glenn wanted to like surgically work on a mannequin or something. And I remember he was like, okay, I need a mannequin and then I need to stuff it with raw meat. And I need you to cut a hole in the mannequin and just put all the raw meats in there. Oh. And then I was like, I am so on this. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so I remember I found that, you know, mannequins are pretty expensive. So I found the only mannequin I could, stuffed it in my little Ford Mustang, got that mannequin to the studio. And I was like, Rob, I need to cut a hole in this mannequin in his stomach. And he was like, okay. And so we cut a <laughs> hole in the mannequin and this was all for like an 8 a.m. skit, okay? Oh, no. And so I got all this raw meat and I got fake blood because I always have fake blood on me and I just <laughs> stuffed it together and we made this like incredibly gory segment for the radio show that morning. That, I, I will always remember that and it was just, it was so fun and- No two days are the same. Then. No, no two days are the that. same. All right. Hold on. Let's not gloss over the oh, fact. Oh, and I have another raw meat story. Okay. Before we hold a hold, hold, hold a raw meat story. Let's not gloss over the fact that, quote, because I always have fake blood on me, end quote. What do you mean? Like keep well, it in your true. purse? I mean, not in my purse necessarily, but I do have like a, some just fake blood. If I ever need, I you know how many times I've needed fake blood, Keith? A lot. So I just always keep some around just in case. <sighs> Always prepared. Always prepared. Okay, other raw meat story. Okay, so uh, <laughs> you'll remember this. Oh, no. Um, Is it basketball related? Not. No? Maybe. Uh, I'm not actually. Admits? I'm not. Ac- yes. Yeah. I'm not actually sure, like, the origin of the story or why. Is, 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 it was it, the meat mitts. Yeah, meat mitts, because Obama was. Um, That's right. Shooting hoops and missing every shot, oh and Glenn God. and Pat were saying how they could make more baskets while wearing meat mitts. Yes, which of course, that's the that's the trouble when you just start saying stuff off the cuff like that. Then it falls on people like you yes. to make it happen. Like he could have said uh, with catcher's mitts, right? right. He right. could have said that. Which would have been a lot easier. You mean like, oh, here here's two catcher's mitts. Put them on and shoot hoops. No, no, no. He said meat mitts, and the next thing you know, there's literally. Fingers of meat on Glenn's hands as they're shooting basketballs in the big studio. Yeah, yeah, and, and guess how that happens? A producer, and mm-hmm. so yeah, Glenn literally goes, "We need meat mitts <laughs> for tomorrow." What is a meat <laughs> mitt, man? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Um, so I remember going to Walmart that night, and I was like, all right, I have to fashion some meat mitts for these crazy people tomorrow morning. How do I do this? And so I think I literally got sausages. That's what I was going to ask. I think it was sausages. Yeah, sausages for <laughs> the fingers. I remember buying like an apple core thing that you core an apple with. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. And I was using that to make inserts for Pat's fingers. Yeah. And so I got. <laughs> oh, no. Here we go. I just got all of these sausages, fashioned them into fingers, and I think I used like rump roast or something for like the actual palms, and also had to like cut a slit into that. It was the whole thing. It was like probably eight hours of my life. Did you ever get reimbursed for all the money that you no. spent at that place? Are you kidding me? No. 
Absolutely not. Uh, what, what a, the goodness of my on. heart. And Let, let's talk about that for just a moment because, Keith, I learned so much from you. Oh, do you ever remember me saying never? <laughs> never charge it to your credit card. Anyway, guess that lesson didn't stick. I, I do remember that. But at the same time, I was, I was passionate and I was like, uh-huh. I want this meat mitt skit to be successful. Never so charge I'll it to do your anything card. to make the meat mitt segment <laughs> successful. <laughs> So much red tape trying to get reimbursed for that stuff. Oh, my Because I mean, that, that business is so different. When those receipts get up to accounting and they don't have a radio or TV background, they say, she bought sausage and <laughs> rump roast? I'm not paying that. Okay. Any other so great memories of behind-the-scenes stuff that you had to do that maybe uh, fans of Glenn and the Blaze would go, oh, I remember that, that, that you remember having a hand in? Man, so many, like uh, for the wonderful world of Stu, like Adam and I, we worked very closely on that show, but we have like a different work ethic where he follows the rules and I don't. And um, (laughs) (laughs) if we ever like had to do an on-shoot location, he was always like, well, do do we have permission to do it? You know, have you contacted the business? And I'm like, no, we'll just do it and get out. It'll be fine. (laughs) Right? <laughs> that's that's rogue filmmaking for you. So he's asked permission, you're asked forgiveness. Yes, exactly. It. It's better to ask forgiveness uh-huh. than permission. Stand by that 100%. <laughs> um, but I remember there was like a shoot we did. I convinced Stu to do a shoot about the Futura house, which is this weird Swedish model home that was popular in like the 70s. And there was one in Texas. Yeah, okay. I knew that's where you were going. Way out in the Yeah, boonies. in like Rockwall, Texas. It's great. Like, it'll be a fun segment for the Sioux show, and you get to rip on Sweden. Perfect. You know? <laughs> Poor Sweden. <laughs> so I convinced everybody, like Adam, Sean Foster, uh, Stu, to go Oh, Sean Foster, over- <laughs> another episode another here episode. on At The Mic. Where does Keith get his guest pool from? <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Um, but I convinced them to go all the way out there yeah. and do the shoot in this, like, it looks like a spaceship. Yes. And it's, like, abandoned. Yep. I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. And it was just so fun. And we had so much fun. And, you know, that really is where my love of, like, filmmaking came from was working on that show and, mm. and learning how to be a producer, learning how to write. And um, I really owe a lot to Stu and everyone on that show. A lot of freedom, a lot of creativity. Yeah. yeah. So before we wrap this up, let's talk music for a second. Okay. Because I know, unless something has changed since I knew you or since we last talked, <laughs> you know, um, Alice Cooper still your jam? Oh, yeah. Number one. Yeah. How did you get into Alice Cooper? Because I got to be honest, I don't know, me- well, any females in their 20s who... Oh my God, Keith! I'm 32. A enjoy, okay. <laughs> A enjoy Alice Cooper, and B just rank him as like the greatest of all time. How did that happen? Well, it it, it all starts at a haunted house again. Uh, I went to a haunted house when I was a kid, and there was an Alice Cooper tribute band playing in the queue line, and I saw it, and I was like, "This is amazing!" And then I found out it was a real band, and so I just went on a deep dive, and then my, my dad. And I, we started going to Alice Cooper concerts. Cool. This is the greatest thing ever because it has everything. It's it's rock and roll, which I love. Uh, it's horror, which I also love. And it's just a great stage show. It's like way more than just four guys looking at their shoelaces. It, it is an actual show. It's theatrical. And his politics. And he's an amazing <laughs> human being <laughs> who's smart and intelligent. Um, so I just fell in love with his entire act. And he grew up as a nerdy kid running yeah, cross what? country. Oh, wow. What is his real name? Uh, Vincent Fernier. It kind of spoke to me because like, I also was a nerdy kid who ran cross country. Uh-huh. And I just like saw what he did. And he was like, well, you know, I need a stage show to stand out. You know, and I just love the dichotomy of like naming your band Alice Cooper where, you know, you're you think you're going to see a blonde folk singer and you end up seeing him. Was that the story behind the name? Just trying to throw people off and stuff, (laughs) which I love that spoke to me so much. Uh I was like, that's so genius. Um, And I just loved his music and loved his whole arc, you know, just a normal, normal, nerdy kid who, you know, turned his passion into reality. And, um, you know, that's something like. Uh, inspires me to this day and cool. and actually last night 
I watched an Alice Cooper documentary called Live from the AstroTurf, which was filmed here in Dallas at Good Records. It was a reunion of the original band and Alice Cooper for the first time in like 40 years. Oh, wow. And I was there. And this was like five or six years ago. And I was there. And I remember them with a film crew. And they were interviewing all the fans there. And my parents and I, we were interviewed. And I thought, oh, that's cool. But I didn't think anything would ever come of it. No way. I know where this is going. here we go. I watched the movie last night. My parents and I are in it. And we're one of like three fans that actually made it into the documentary. And uh, it just was so cool. And it's just weird how this rocker from Detroit, who was popular 40 years ago, still resonates with me and still brings me and my family together. That is really cool. So I know you dislike the social media, but your haunted house has an account on Instagram and Facebook, correct? Yes. It's uh, at Nightscape Haunt on Facebook and Instagram. Nightscape Haunt. Haunt, okay. Yeah, and you can follow us, and all the updates on upcoming shows are there. And um, yeah, if you're in in the DFW area, uh, go visit Music City Mall, and there's a haunted house inside. That's awesome. <laughs> so. so you're on Instagram and Facebook as well. Yes. How can people find you there? Uh, it's just my name, Natasha Pacetta, and um, yeah, just uh, give me a follow. I miss all the Blaze fans. You know, I miss interacting with everybody. Sure. I started out as a call screener. Keith taught me how to call screen, and I used to talk to everyone all the time and, you know, talk to them on when I ran social media, like Pat and Stu and everything. I used to talk to everyone, and I really miss the Blaze fans. They were really nice and always supportive of me, and I just miss everyone there, too, and really thankful that I had my time there. Yeah. And met amazing people like Keith Malinak. <laughs> Sounds like you have some great stuff going on, working with Megan Kelly, with your haunted house and your horror films. So congratulations on all the stuff you've got your hands on as well. Thanks for spending time here on At The Mic, Natasha Pacetta. Thank you, Keith Malinak. (laughs) It was great getting to chat with Natasha, find out what she's been up to. I've said it so many times on this podcast, but time really does fly. It does not seem like that long ago that she was in the trenches with us over at The Blaze. And now she's off doing so much other stuff. And it was great to hear about all of it. Next week, I'm going to sit down with Stephen Kent. I think you're going to enjoy that conversation. He knows everything and then some when it comes to Star Wars. That'll be next week on At The Mic. Until then, go be free. And thank you for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect.